Today, Fraud Boxer welcomes a new sponsor, Darwinian. Darwinian brings their next generation fraud prevention platform that unifies security with fraud prevention to create complete visibility of customer journeys across every digital touchpoint, web, apps, and APIs. Darwinium's unique integration point running on the perimeter edge via CDN brings privacy preservation and low latency, giving a holistic view of customer behavior from pre-authentication through account creation, login, change of details, and even payments. This means businesses are better equipped to separate human and automated traffic while protecting customers from account takeover, identity scams, and social engineering behaviors, blocking content and promo abuse, and of course, fraudulent payments. Please visit www.darwinium.com to learn more today. Direct links will be in the bio of this episode. Everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. I have a very special treat for you today. I've got the impossible. I got Bridget Corney here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I feel like you're like a myth to get on one of these things. You know, we see you speak on panels, you know, behind closed doors where it's merchants only and those sorts of things. So to have you on a forward facing podcast where everybody can hear is a special treat. I'm so lucky that you chose mine to, to be on. Um, I think we're going to have a, a great conversation today because I think you have a very interesting story and I think you have a lot of valuable information to provide to my audience. So I'm going to pry it out of there. How does that sound? <laughs> I will try my best to be an open book for you. Perfect. Well, we met well over 10 years ago, probably at an MRC, probably at cocktails, probably doing some sort of speaking or something because that's just kind of what we do. We go to MRC, we speak, and then we have cocktails and then we have a good time. Um <laughs> So yeah, it was probably something and there might have been a certified event. I can't remember. Can you even remember? I can't remember. I think uh, an, an MRC is probably a safe bet, but we're kind of on the circuit. So we we, we attend all of the the good events that are around there, That's especially right. to, to knowledge share, of course. Exactly. To knowledge share, not, to, more. not yeah. to see great cities and skylines and have a wonderful right. um, you know, excursions and architecture tours never knows all the never. perks of being a merchant right yeah yeah exactly well that is a great transition there because you recently have some news about you being a merchant you were at groupon for a long time and we'll talk about that but you just made a change do you want to talk about that sure i uh, started a new gig about five six weeks ago now i joined uh, a little company called audion i'm their new global head of risk and fraud prevention. Um, I go way back with with Audion given my tenure at Groupon. Groupon was one of the one of the first merchants uh, on the Audion platform. And so it's always been a, a partner that's been close to my heart. And so I'm really excited to be joining the team on this side and or as I like to say, joining the dark side. Yeah. Now. now now you get to buy the drinks. Now uh yeah. now you don't get bought the drinks. <laughs> so bring that corporate card at payments head by the yeah. way. <laughs> Now, now, my company is a, a um, client of Audion. I think it's no secret there. So before we go back into your history and we talk about where you came from and, and all of your experience, how do you officially, according to Audion, oh, say Audion? I, <laughs> I, I wish that I had that. that I, we'd have to get through my thick Chicago Midwestern accent in order to say it like the proper Dutch way. It's it's a skill that I I promise one day I'll I'll be able to share with the masses. But um, please do. There's there's a there's a nice uh, thick accent in there that I can't really nail quite yet. But All like right, maybe we'll have to do a touch base in like a year and like we'll we'll go through it and yeah. see. Update. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do a tutorial. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have to lean on some Dutch friends to help me. Well, just tell them that it's coming, so we're going to need it. But okay. Let's go back to how you got into fraud and payments, because you have been in this game for a really long time. So how did you do it? So I think I probably got into uh, fraud and payments the same way that most of us do. Um, we were tasked with solving an impossible problem. Um, 
and that being how do we stop fraud on on Groupon's platform. Um, this is back in the day, so maybe we're going back to like 2014 or so, so a little under 10 years. Groupon had a, a small fraud issue, and they needed someone to really help build out what the platform looks like and automate a lot of the functions that we had in place. And so um, I had a little bit of experience in project management mostly and um, took on the role of managing the North America team. And uh, my fraud career kind of blossomed from there. Um, I really think in those early days leveraged the people that I had met in um MRC events and in different organizations like that to really un, like gather a plan and a strategy for yeah. how Groupon could build out a like a world class platform and um, everything really took off from there. I think like just so so everybody's familiar, Groupon um, you know was a real big thing, quite the storm in like the early two thousand tens. Uh, even like yeah. 2009, I think 2010, 11, 12 in there, yeah. it was like all the rage It's like, you could get your like kickboxing classes with your friends, you know, like buy, buy one lesson, get two people for free type thing. Uh, I yeah. bought a, a star uh, one <laughs> time for like six bucks on there. It was there. I it remember was very, that. Very, very popular daily deals. Daily deals right. were like the big thing. And then you had X amount of time to redeem these sorts of vouchers and things like that. Um, it's very, very, very of the time and very popular. And you guys were like the name in that. Like if everybody, even if like they had bought something from a competitor that did the same thing, they still said, I have a Groupon for this. Like you guys right. were the 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 actual like word for that particular product. So I could imagine that like with all that, at the, timing that for the, at the same time with that popularity and this new influx of online purchases, credit cards, new consumers coming into the market. We finally were in web 2.0 at the time. Like I could imagine like, the confusion that people might have with making the purchases, the fraud that came with that of people trying to resell those things. I could only imagine what came in there. So kind of yeah. run us through some of the things that you saw if you could. And of course. yeah. Yeah. I think like the big thing for the big, some of the biggest challenges that were around in those early days. So I had started a group run in uh, late or middle 2010 or so um, and started in a sales role and, really got to see kind of the roller coaster of um, the peak of Groupon, um, a lot of those different pieces. And it was a, a true story of like working and going as fast as you possibly can in order to handle the growth of a quick growing company yeah. like that. I think, I think we were on the cover of Forbes at one point for being like the fastest growing company ever. Um, and th that presented a ton of opportunity for, people that were there during that time. Um, but Groupon really grew in a lot of ways through acquisition. And so we acquired a company called My City Deal. And that really grew us from just a US Canadian company into the other uh, global regions that, that they operated oh. in for a long time. Um, and so that was a, a challenge from a fraud platform perspective. And that was one of the biggest projects I think I worked on while I was at Groupon was connecting the dots and the back end yeah, system of, of <laughs> rolling out like a fraud solution that was global rather than just specific to different verticals and different countries. The other piece of like those early day challenges, I think was part of Groupon growing by acquisition was through acquiring others, I, I guess what we would call them like business lines, or we I would have called them it in my past role. Um, so we weren't just doing that daily deal when we decided yeah. to try and make some of the pivots into physical goods and travel, uh, ticketing, uh, gift cards, all of those pieces, like how do you solve for fraud? not just in daily deals, but in these other lines. Yeah, and what does your platform look like? Completely different. Yeah. So and different. Would you guys, would you guys, when you would sell direct to consumer goods, would you guys yeah. hold inventory or would you sell it and then like fulfill the orders through the merchant later? We did both. Wow. Uh, we had owned inventory. Uh, we had a warehouse at a, a period of time, all pre COVID of course. Um, so we sold, we had to have fraud prevention for, for our own inventory that we would ship direct. And then we also had ship like a marketplace, right? Where buy through Groupon, but the merchant would ship it out to the consumer and those pieces of oh. it. And so um, we had to sell for those different types of physical goods 
fraud prevention. Um, we also had partnerships with different um, other big companies, one of your prior employers, and we would sell and distribute their inventory that we were mm -hmm. merchant of record for. So we had to handle the fraud prevention for those types of yeah, um, deals where maybe get their yeah. two for one movie tickets, they get all pissed off and you right, guys got to hold right. the bag on that one. But yes, trust exactly. me, we would get the calls. We would get the calls to customer service when they <laughs> couldn't course. figure out how to redeem their Groupons uh, to get right. those movie tickets. <laughs> well, and I think like, you know, we can kind of commiserate for like a minute about like how those early days um were sort of the wild wild west in fraud prevention for a lot of like there's nothing in place to prevent like to lay out processes for how do you handle those merchant calls that would have maybe it was our groupon's fault but you yeah. was coming to you so like you know i think uh, that's a big it's, part of our early you know it's growth. always a challenge like especially doing fulfillment like that or, or sold by because you know we would give you guys a giant chunk of codes that you mm -hmm. guys would fulfill for mm -hmm. us now Granted, you guys are doing the fulfillment, but we did the supply of that. And yeah. at the end of the day, like we can't tell, we could never tell if you might've sent that code to two people, you know, we just mm -hmm. would never be able to know that, you know? And I'm not saying you guys did, like, don't, don't take it that way or anything. <laughs> but like a, a lot of times, you know, again, going back to that time, that was, there was a lot of new people purchasing online, phones and apps, the M commerce, as we used to call it was brand new and people were buying things thinking that it was something that it might have not been or they didn't read the fine print because they just saw a good deal, you know? And it's like, at the same time, it's like, it was the fine print on this site that they bought it from, but then they're trying to redeem it on this site that's bound by that fine print. And it's like, we, there's, there's onus kind of on both for the customer yeah. service and customer experience piece of it. But we, I don't think we had known at the time all of us like how to do it. And then you throw in like these whole other, like at the, at the same time, like web forums were still super popular. So people were doing like, like it, now that's like Facebook mom groups and like local Facebook groups where it's like, okay, there's a deal here, but it was like on these web forums where people like slick deals was a great yeah. example. Oh God, and they would just, deals. they would just yeah. rip us, you know? Yeah. And then it, it was, but it was abuse before we realized abuse, you know, like all of your codes went to one guy that then is sitting on the street corner digital street corner trying to resell them and make this money and it just it got so messy so fast and like to your point like you were saying is like you and i could go back and forth is like every day was a new scheme that someone was <laughs> trying to pull on our sites yeah. to exploit us and like how yeah. do you solve for that then you need a new tool for this or do you need a new tool for that or and then to your point stitching together like i've been at companies where we acquired things and they have their own payment system their own fraud tools and yeah. like we got to globalize those, you know? So, yep. oh man, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm sweaty from this PTSD <laughs> yeah. right now. Not even thinking about like, how do you handle the contracting, the commercial aspect of those pieces? Like if we, if you just think purely product and like what the back end systems it, it, coming from someone, you know, I have no business understanding. I, I'm not an engineer by trade, but like yeah. in the world of fraud prevention and a lot of ways you have to act as uh you have to understand product from a certain perspective, yep. especially, especially in those kind of early conversations where we were rolling out tools that no one at Groupon had ever seen and any of those fraud providers before. They didn't know or understand why we needed to send certain amounts of data yeah. to build models about fraud prevention, like the concept of um, people being malicious on the internet, right? Like just wasn't really there. So having to convince internal stakeholders was also a huge challenge and skill that I had to, that we, right? Like we had yeah. to learn how to do pretty early on and get kind of, you know, master in some ways. I think that's a, that was a key part of um, a lot of the work I did over those years. And that translates now into, you know, my role here, but fraud prevention is like, it's, it's come a, a long way. Yeah, it has. And, and I think like you and I both like, you know, we've used similar providers in the past yeah. and we've encountered similar problems. I think like you have a unique perspective on this because of all that we just talked about where you were also a marketplace. You're also a physical goods. You started yeah. out as a digital goods. Did you guys ever do subscriptions? <laughs> uh, uh, Groupon, Groupon has like, you know, during the years we had a lot of products that like most tech companies, I would say, um, we did have a subscription platform for a period of time. That was 
very much chasing what whatever was hot you know now subscriptions once again yeah. are just like everything but yeah. that time was very much chasing what was hot so i think yeah. like with 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 all that that you have you know like you have a ton of insight so especially for the position that you're in now which we'll get there in a little bit like you have you'll be able to understand the different types of, of frustrations that us merchants run into you know and you guys have a fraud platform too I think that there's more fragmentation in the fraud platform space than there ever used to be. It used to be like you were on a certify or you were on threat metrics or you were on iOvation or count. Like that was it. Like you're one yeah. of those four, most likely one of the three with count threat metrics or a certify. But now like everybody's just all over the map and they have different pieces for different things. I'm guilty of that, you know, of having like, you know, risk of fires in one place. Solutions for you different know? things. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's and and it's, I think it's, it's more than ever. It's become like, it's, I've talked about it on other episodes before. It's like, you need to try and find what's right for your specific individual need. And there isn't a one size fits all solution like there used to more be. And I think that's freaking out some of the solution providers, you know, yeah. as they're starting to see market share slip a little bit and they're like, well, what do we do? And I, I think that they need to understand, like, it's not like, it's not necessarily a bad thing to stick to your core mm -hmm. and like know what you're really good at. And like, maybe let some of like the other pieces go along. I mean, you can still be trying to figure out how to make those sorts of things. You should be trying to make those sorts of things. But at the same time, like, if you're not good at gift cards, you know, like say, I'm not great at gift cards, like go deal, deal out over there, but keep your core business with me, you know, like try not to be a one size fits all. Same thing with like identity and account signups and all that. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. I that feel was, like uh... it kind of mirrors. I feel, feel like it brings up an idea in my head that it like, kind of mirrors like the payments industry in a lot of ways, right? Like early days in payments, maybe everybody had all of their volume on one provider. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was and taboo then, oh, to use multiple. It was like yeah. seen as like you were trying to maybe game the system. Uh, right. I remember like when I was at uh, that same company we were talking about earlier, uh, <laughs> we had we had a primary system and we had a fallback system. And of course, redundancy, you know, right? It's yeah. the name of the game at that time. But yeah. it, it was, we only ever used it a couple of times, you know, but like, thank God we did because one of the times we had to fall over to it was like, was the Dark Knight Rises weekend. And that was like the biggest thing ever. And like, we kind of needed to make sure we were, we were unlocked. But I remember at the same time, like, people would always think if you have multiple payment processors, you were probably trying to game some sort of system, get around some sort of limitations. And now like payment orchestration yeah. is like yeah. everything. Like this traffic from this particular region goes here. This traffic on these types of cards goes to this one. Like yeah. the, if you're not doing that, like you're just, you're leaving tons and tons of money on the table. And, and I love that the, the, the PSPs are like starting to chase that. And I mean, you're one right now, but they're starting to chase that level of, of sophistication around too. And, and understanding, like I just did a big RFP and we had a ton of payment processors in there. Um, you guys were obviously included, but <laughs> at the same time, like we had some very honest conversations with a lot of the big, big, big names where they were very open about where their strengths were and where their weaknesses were. And historically, you would never have that conversation before, but like they were looking at some piece of the business is better than no piece of the business. You know, you, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth for sure. Like they're leaving money on the table sometimes by not just being strategic and like looking into the data and the numbers on like, how can you really um, optimize where your volumes are going? Um, looking at costs. Look, I mean, there, we could talk and I'm, you know, speaking as like an ex merchant, that was a huge part of my team's strategy was, digging into that and figuring out where could we really pick up true you know revenue basically and like that has impact not just like on your business but also brings you to a seat at the table in larger conversations internally yeah. right like it gets you credibility it it you're no longer a you know fraud teams a lot of the time are seen as like revenue stoppers but making that shift into a revenue driver um, can go hand in hand with a lot of these payments initiatives. And um, we can talk more about that. Of course, I know you that's a topic that is really hot for you, but um, it, it all kind of is interrelated in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and we'll let, let's 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 save that for you through your adding part because we're getting there. We're almost there. You know, we have a couple other bullet points here. Um, there's some things that I think I definitely want to talk about, like, um, you're, you're very involved in the in the women in payments um, boards and all those sorts of things, which I think I would say that our industry has has done a better job than a lot of other industries that I've been in that to make sure that it's um, inclusive of especially of women. Uh, that was like a big focus for like the last 10 years. And I would say that like when I started, I've talked about it on, on this before. When I started there, there wasn't as many women like you were definitely one of the standout women that was that was involved in all this. And now I say we have 
at least a 50 50 spread you know across the board <laughs> it doesn't and, feel like that as a woman but i i think we've made huge strides in also hiring in younger uh female talent that we can develop and and kind of elevate and raise uh through the ranks um i think that is a testament to some of those er kind of ergs i'm calling them but really they're they're committees focused on making that a priority and and giving back to um the larger community in ways that are really important and not just relevant, but like should be relevant and a, a foundation of yeah. our, the fraud and payments industry, basically. Yeah. I was, I was looking around, you know, at the last MRC that, that we had back in March and like, there's just so many new people that have come into this industry and it's a very, yeah. it's the most diverse I've ever seen it ever be, you know, and it's really it's really cool to see because like I think I talked about one one of these things before is like I used to be like the young guy in in the MRC and now I'm like not but there's so many like young people coming up behind and they're really 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 good and they're and they're so hungry to learn and they're yeah. they're doing some really 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 cool things like it used to be like not as technical like you know that you and I like we're just talking about the orchestration piece of it it's like that never used to be necessary and now like the the data analytics side of this in getting more granular on how you approach fraud prevention how you approach chargeback fighting and how you approach payments is just so much more strategic than it was 10 years ago that like these these new young folks coming in are just like they're equipped with so much knowledge like right from the get go it's really crazy to see actually it's exciting too i think um you know, you mentioned like not being the young one anymore. Um, I, I think somebody had said to me once, um, like, I think a, a lot of the best parts of some of these, like, I know we joke about like, it's, it's, you know, getting to do these, to go visit these different cities. And that, that's great. And as well, but I think one of the other benefits of attending a lot of these conferences and events is meeting some of that younger talent. Mm -hmm. And one of like our mutual friends had said to me at the last, like one of the last mags or payments ad something around the lines of like, I really want you to meet this, this girl. Um, she's just getting started in this industry. She's just graduating from college, which reminds me so much of you from like 10 years ago. And so it was, I mean, they meant it nice. Like I, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, Aren't you 25, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I wish, but um, it was a really like great introduction to now make a relationship with someone who, who is just getting started and you can kind of, you know, mentor is a word that I think gets thrown out a lot. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot and I think it's important, but I think um, even just building like part of building your network is not necessarily having to find mentors, but just building those connections because now I know this girl and I can help her and have conversations and not necessarily be a, a mentor specifically, but um, have, she, she knows, you know, another person that can connect her to other people yeah. within, within the industry. So. And, and uh, that's a good yeah. point because you've been very involved in the industry for um, a lot of years Talk about some of your involvement in the overall industry, because like we talk about the companies and I always have my guests talk about the companies, but you are one of the few people that has a more influential role in the actual industry and the guiding of policies uh, in a number of ways. So can you talk about that? Sure. Um, I got involved, uh, I think, probably, you know, probably right after my first MRC, um, a friend you know, came to me and said, you seem like you really are interested in talking about these types of things. And you would like, would you like to join a committee for, for MRC? And I, I am not the type of person who really says no to a lot of things. I'm always jumping in and saying, yes, I want to be involved. And so I joined the conference committee pretty quickly after I joined the fraud industry in general. And I've been, um, I'm now one of the MRC chairs for the U S conference committee. Um, which Jordan did that meeting are... today, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you, it's, you, it's a commitment. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, we were going through all the things like that, that meeting was today, everybody, we do meet and talk about like what, what the topics Contents. are going to discuss. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you, you scorched somebody on one and I was laughing so hard <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, it was it's great. important, you know, to give good feedback. And like, I think we forget a lot of the times, like that content is why so many people attend mm -hmm. like in the sessions that we, that are 
presented. People put a lot of effort into like putting those presentations together and um, making sure that it's a really well-rounded and an yeah. articulate. We curate like, this, everybody. We like, curate we're curating it, yeah. this content it a, yeah. to make sure there's a mix of both entry-level stuff, intermediate stuff, and advanced stuff. I know a lot of, we get the feedback at the end of the at the end of the year every year, and I understand like everybody wants more of one type of thing, but we have to remember like this is a very wide, encompassing audience that we have to cater to. So there's just it's yeah. just going to be spread a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It, and it takes a long time, right? You know, we, it, it, it took me hours to go through all the sessions and for Vegas, it's four times the amount of, mm. you know, content, but it, it's worth it in the end. And so I've been doing that for now about 10 years. And, um, that opened up, started to open up other doors for meeting and building my network inside of the fraud industry. So, you know, outside of Groupon, figuring out who, um, who can I really learn from? Um, who do I have? maybe a, a professional connection to that um, when they, you know, need a recommendation for, for themselves or whatever it might be. Um, it's really been super valuable for me to give back to the community in that way. Um, so wow. did I was a member of the conference committee for a while and then joined the women in payments group um, and then ran for the America's board of directors for the MRC, which I am no longer a member of given um, I am now at a solution provider and I'd, I'd have to re rerun, but um, yeah. maybe. And you got to pay up, too. We'll see. <laughs> well, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I, I think it's, I think it's valuable, but. Um, I think most, most solution providers in our space understand the value of being on those boards like that. And I like when I see solution providers on those boards, because that means they're mixed in with those merchants that they have to listen to what yeah. the rest of us are saying, because like I, I've said it a million times on here is like a lot of these companies are building things like what they think need to be built. And mm -hmm. I think that they need to hear what we would like them to be building and what we need. And when I think card network brands um, are especially <laughs> need to hear what we want and what we need, because they, they love to just come up with their own things and act like it's the best thing ever for us when it might not necessarily be, maybe, maybe ask us about it every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that in my, and now that I'm on the dark side, I hope that I don't get, I, that that feedback doesn't stop. People don't want to talk about those things in front of me anymore because I think knowing, like being an ex-merchant basically, you know, right right now, um, that understanding and knowledge of what merchants really want is, you know, the number one thing that can really differentiate my feedback and my new role before we move on to what you're up to now uh is there any other milestones or anything that you were super proud of because you were at groupon for like over 13 years so anything else that you were like super proud of there like the feather in your cap type situation i think there were a couple of really big projects that we got out the door um but i the one that really like immediately comes to mind is the rollout of 3d care 2.0 and the preparation and compliance with psd2 I think not because it was maybe the most intense project that we had, or it wasn't the most, I mean, it was, it was important as a regular regulation, but um, a regulatory change, but it was the, uh, the tie to first, how much we talked about PSD2 for years. I feel like I was the constant in every conversation, everyone wanted to talk about PSD2 and how it was going to change our industry. And I think it mm -hmm. did change it in a, in a lot of ways, but, it kind of is like the Y2K moment in my head and a lot of things like, you know, going back to like seventh grade, it. right? Yeah. Um, everyone talked about the world was going to end and that's how it felt with PSD2. And then, you know, September 14th rolls around. Um, I know there were a couple of pushbacks and compliance dates and, and there was a lot of work done around that. And I think, you know, as an industry, we really rallied together to figure out and make sure that we could, we, we knew how we were going to handle these changes. Um, but once it happened, I think we saw a bunch of effects that maybe weren't exactly expected, or it wasn't as bad as as we thought it was going to be. I think in some ways it is, but it, it, it some ways it's it has changed how we think about things, but not in ne necessarily as a devastating manner. Um, the other part that makes it really significant to me is that. I was going on maternity leave September 15th of that year. And so I knew I had like this huge deadline, like 
can't have a baby until PSD2 and our compliance, that, you know, gets rolled out. Works? <laughs> but, <laughs> so I should have named my daughter, you know, something having to do with like PSD2. the main regulator. That would have been a perfect yeah, yeah, Taking an yeah. Elon page there, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a, a pivotal time, I think, in my professional and personal life. So that's really like the, the top memory for me. Well, congratulations on P- little PSD too. Yeah, uh, she's old timing, now. No, she's four. I mean, right? yeah, yeah, she's <laughs> she's she's four she's already. Not, she'll be four in September. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so now let's talk about Adian. Adian. So, what's going on there? What are you doing there? What is your responsibility? What does your day look like? And what are you guys doing to change my life as a merchant <laughs> that gives you millions and millions and millions of dollars every year? <laughs> I. Uh, when I figure that out, maybe in maybe in August, maybe next month when we're together doing another session, can I give that preview away here for you? Us? Can, you, you can. Know? You can. You talk about it all day. We got to get people us? in that lunchroom. Yes, do it. Yeah, plug us. So I, I I mentioned at the top of the the podcast that I joined about five weeks ago. Um, my role is in in the risk and fraud world. Um, my teams are supporting our existing merchants on, on audience revenue protect product. Um, but strategically speaking, I look at my group's function as a way to really educate and consult with our merchants and learn from them and take that knowledge and turn back internally and, and build out a better product that merchants like yourself, Jordan, can use in ways that are more effective. Um, I, I bet when you ask me this in four weeks that I have a, a completely, completely different, different interpre- <laughs> interpretation, um, I, I have really enjoyed getting to kind of start afresh at yeah, a I new, an, in a new, in a new company, in a new role. Everyone has been extremely welcoming, um, that's like, can I ask you about that? Because yeah. I mean, this is, this is not in our script, everybody. Um, so you, so I, I jump companies. I tend to jump companies. I've been at a number of companies over the last 10 years, but with you, you have been at Groupon for 13 years and then you join a new company. What mentally, like, what was that like? Like, yeah, that's a, cause that's a long time, you know? Yeah. I think there's a couple of points that I make about this when I, when I'm really like kind of pressed on it. One, um, I feel like I had a bunch of different roles inside of Groupon. So I felt like I'm almost worked at multiple companies during those 13 years, just given our growth, um, the roller coaster I lived on basically. And then how my role changed and over the, the course of 13 years and the things I worked on and all of that. Um, so I feel like I got to experience what, maybe I would have experienced outside of Groupon if I had had made some of those jumps. Um, the second part of it that I tend to find, like I stayed at, I feel like I stayed at Groupon for a long time because the culture that was there, the people that were there really fostered like growth for anyone who was willing to put in the work and the effort and like, had the talent and the passion and you wanted to, you wanted to learn something new, like it was supported. Um, and so when I was looking for another role, um, my decision kind of came down to two opportunities that, um, where the main differentiator between them was the company culture. And when I thought about making that transition from somewhere I had been for so long and loved my team so much. And um, the main piece, the main decision maker was where was I going to work next? And like, where could I see myself working for another 13 years? What is the company culture like somewhere? And so it hasn't been that rough of a transition because I knew what I was getting into. I knew how great the company culture was at Audion and um, now I sound like I've drank, you know, a bunch of Kool-Aid. You drank, you of drank that green Kool-Aid over there. <laughs> I mean, it, it grew up on green, you know, it wasn't yeah. hard to you change see, the wardrobe. You got a favorite color. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but, you know, I think like too, you know, if I, if I, if I look back at like your, your, how you were in the industry, 
you know, you did since you did all these things like the the boards and the committees and stuff, I guess those are kind of like second jobs, you know, at the mm -hmm. end of the day. So you kind of get a different a different perspective there. I will say, like, as far as company cultures go, you know, it is like it, it sounds like such a buzzword to say when, when you're switching mm -hmm. jobs. And I think a lot of people like, you know, they, they make fun of like Silicon Valley companies that they say they like, yeah, they have like culture people like they have people that are literally like the chief culture officer that tries to foster a certain type of culture. And they look for cultural fits when they do these interviews with these people. I've done a number of them, but it it matters. It, and like as, as much as people want to be like how goofy that is, is there's a reason that people want to work in Silicon Valley companies versus like working in a steel mill. Like there's yeah. <laughs> there is. Not only the work, but like it's the type of thing like, you know, the people always joke about like oh, work is family work is, you know, it's it's not it's a job. It's what they always say. But when you feel like you're actually a part of something yeah. and your voice is heard and your voice matters, it does make a difference. And I think that like pulling people off of their computers into like goofy little games like we had like a, a gift. We had the office Olympics when the Olympics were happening two Olympics ago. And it was goofy and it was stupid and it was like ridiculous things like like chair racing, but it was so much fun. And yeah. it brought so many people that I don't normally talk to at that company together into our little circle where we became competitive, we became friends, and I still talk to those people. And I think that culture matters more than, than people realize. And I, to, to do my own anecdotal story on this, is I, in... Coming out of COVID in 21, I was offered another job at a different company um, mm -hmm. about six months before I joined iHerb. And I like the people that I was working with that offered me the job. I think that they're brilliant people. I think that they're smart people. And I think that they're still the top of their field. However, the company itself did not really have a culture. And yeah. I called my buddy, my mentor, as we were talking about earlier, and I yeah. called him and I was like, hey, what do you think of this? And I was like, these are, this is the role. This is what I'll be doing. This is the people I'll be working with. I was like, I like them. Like, I think they're great. He's like, do you want to work for X? And I was like, no, I just said it like that quick. And yeah. Like, There's your answer, you know? And like, yeah. and I've talked to people that have worked there since then, you know, like through acquisitions and everything. And they all say like, it's the same thing. It's like, it's the people are great, but it's a head down, do your work, shut up mentality. And that's not really what I'm looking like. Like iHerb has, has been an interesting one because I joined this company fully remote. Like you, you already in your five works have probably spent more time in person with your colleagues than I've spent in almost nearly two years working at this company. I can count on, on probably one hand how many times I've been to the office at this company. But at the same time, like we get together on goofy little Zooms and things here and there. Uh, and we and we talk. And I feel like with my staff, like I do offsites with them fairly regularly that like, we fostered a really, really, really good like community with my staff. So my staff trusts me. I've spent time with my boss. I trust him. You know, we've we've made it work in this new world. But the culture of my company is very is 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 likable. It's enjoyable. And I think that if that hadn't have been the case coming into this, I would be in a whole different place. So yeah. absolutely, yeah. I I feel exactly the same. I same way. I echo that. I'm I'm in San Francisco right now. I'm based in Chicago, but I'm here with the whole North America team and. Um, one of my like 45 day goals that I made for myself was to meet with like one-on-one -on -one with every single person in my organization. You do that too, huh? I, uh, well, I, I set up my whole first 90 days. Yeah. That's funny. I, just, you know, if I, if I could and can, right, I can, I have the ability to be in person and to like get to know somebody, not just like what they're working on and what merchants they're supporting. Like that is very important, of course, but like also where, you know, where did they go to college? Did they go out for dinner last night with their partner? Or like, what, who are they as a person? Because when I left a company that I had been at for so long, I knew every single person so well that, you know, they were my best friends. Um, they were my peers, my employees, my colleagues, like all of those things, of course, but they were also really close friends of mine that I knew about where they were going on vacation, what they were excited about. And that also allowed me to lead empathetically and lead um, a, a team based on what they needed rather than how I wanted to lead it. And I think like making that personal connection is the foundation of yeah. being a strong leader in a lot of ways. And so, 
I know it sounds so cliche and, you know, no, but dorky or corny, I should say. But <laughs> look at that. I'm a pun intended there. <laughs> yeah. But I'm a comedian, I mean, right? At the same time, yeah. like, you know, the servant leadership thing is is kind of like how I try to do it. It's it's you just said it. It's like who what is the leader that your team needs you to be mm-hmm. versus how you necessarily need to lead it, yeah. you know? Like I think like you know, not everybody always fits in. I said it on another one one of these episodes more recently that like you know not everybody responds to that well. Like some people need to really have a lot of hand holding and they like they like to be like, well you're the boss. You tell me what to do. And then and then if it doesn't fit their exact mold of what they think they're supposed to be doing, whether or not if they have a full picture or not they will either push back or, or go along with it. But with my team and like, especially my team here at this company is like, I give them the goal. I'm like, this is what we're trying to do guys. Let's do this. Now, what do you need for me to get it done? And then they say, I need you to go tell this person, remove this blocker, go do this. I need, I might need this computer. I might need this phone. I might need this from the tech team. And that's my job is to get the tools for them to do their job. Like I'm technically working for them so that they can do their job. And then when things, when shit hits the fan, then I'm the one that's got to pick up the pieces, you know, at the end of the day. So, yeah. yeah. It also allows you to have insight into how they're working, like the speed that they're working, the progress that they're making without having to be a micromanager, right? Yep. You're, you're getting the insights without having to put an additional burden on your team to track it in some certain way or however that might be. Um, I, I think it's it's a really important way to and, and not everybody is a leader like that right and there are great leaders that aren't in this yeah. like specific management style um but for us right it's worked out it's worked out well yeah and i think like i, I mean i think it goes back to culture again too is like the people that are in my roles fit the culture that agrees with me so yeah. like I, I kind of know what I get. And like I have people even here that didn't that didn't fit that, you know, and they aren't here anymore. Um and I have people at, at Ticketmaster that like didn't fit that. And that's just how it is. Like not everybody's gonna get it. But the people that like that like just pull back and understand it and just like relax and say, This is what I need from you, Jordan. Can you help me with this? Like we together, together we can do great things, you know, take together. And like and ask questions. Like you don't have to just like sit there. And like fume and be mad if you don't understand something to say like, okay, why are we doing that? And I'm more than happy to, to explain. I'm a very transparent manager. Like I tell everybody the exact reason why. So I'm probably transparent to a fault on things. But like at the end of the day, I think that that, that fosters trust. And and because a lot of managers and I've seen managers, even some of the people that have come in in roles after me with culture shock on people, like they don't explain the why. They just say, I'm the boss, just do it. And that is like, especially if it's like a completely like a 180 from how something was done for a decade, you know, like, I'm not saying this is how we've always done it is the right way to do it. Like I'm, I'm always say like, that might not be the right way to do it. But if you want to change something, explain as to why you're changing it and make sure that you understand before you change it, why it's done that way. And then understand to like explain to your team why you're changing it. So they get it and they go, Oh, that might make sense. It's really yeah. communication, everybody communication. Yeah. I mean, we're solving all the world's problems through communication. No, yeah. but I think you, I love the explaining the why. Cause I think it also pulls out another theme of like, when you explain the why and, and you as a leader and a manager are, are doing that. Um, you're also fostering an environment where they can ask the why too and push back uh, with, and you, without being scared. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and ultimately you might, you might end up changing the course of action because you I've have a, plenty, another opinion, right? Plenty of times where yeah. people have come to me and said, Hey, I think that we should do it like this. And I'm like, you know, what? I never thought about that. Like, excellent. You know, like, right. let's, let's go ahead and do it that way. You know, like, I think probably Steve probably said something this week that we probably did. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I'm every day I'm asking somebody to give me, you know, feedback and being so new in the role, but it, it's, it all starts at the beginning too. It's, it's a heart. Once you kind of have a certain work style in place, like it's hard to change. I think mm. you can't, I think it's possible, but like, I think beginning from the ground up with that mindset is really important. I, you know, I, I try to buy and read like these different management style books. Not that I'm going to necessarily like implement anything, but I'm curious as to like, to know like what people are, I feel like these radical candor things or, you know, the servant leadership stuff and all that. Like, I think there's bits and pieces that 
that can be applied to different teams, you know, like, like I think the feedback, some of the feedback stuff in radical candor, like some of it, for example, is like useful when you're more direct to the point, but I don't think you should be an asshole about it, which I mean, the book tries to talk about that, but at the same time, like it's not when people try to take a single book and be like that as like their gospel. Like I, had, I worked at a company one time where like tribal leadership, like the book tribal leadership was like how they wanted to run their company. And I, I get, I get like the bits and pieces of like, like the certain tribes and how they are, but they're like, we have to be this tribe at all costs. I'm like, well, not everybody in this company is going to be this tribe, you know? And I think that like, when you try to just shove someone into a very specific mold, you're just going to have a bad time. And like everybody, like I said, like everybody has to be managed different. You need to understand that. And I think that comes back to a great thing that you said about, you know, your 45 day plan or like, you know, what you do is like when you join a company, you need to have that level of plan. And like, there is a book, the first 90 days, everybody, if you want to read that book again, don't take <laughs> they it need as to gospel. sponsor you. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Don't, they don't take it as gospel, but like, it's useful in it. Cause it tells you basically to slow down, like slow down and just understand what you're doing and what the company is and what it does and who these people are. The first 90 days, just slow down. Like you don't have to come like everybody, especially when you come in at a manager level and above, like, in in tech like you're not supposed to make a splash your first day like you're supposed to like figure Understand. it out and yeah 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 i think the other part that comes to mind when we talk about career transitions is having like this type of conversation right like just just with someone that you trust or professionally or someone who works as a peer with you like what are some of these concepts that you feel like you naturally lead with or you naturally embody or even just as an individual contributor right what is important to you because um i i went through kind of that conversation a couple of in a couple of iterations with you know with some some friends and um and then kind of tied that back to like what we have at audience is audience formula and really like figured out what resonated with me in potential new employers. And that, that was the big driver for me that like, I, I believe in like, I'm naturally tying myself to these types of values that the company is also tying themselves to. And so this, I mean, it all comes back to communication. Well, how about that, everybody? That was uh, that was completely unscripted. Like, and I think that that was a super <laughs> valuable conversation that you and I just had. I I really enjoyed that, actually. So. Yeah, I think it was great. Thank you so much for um, kind of like guiding us to that. Hey, you know, it's all it's all about having like uh, introspection into like what led us to here. And I yeah. think that um, yeah, I think that was really cool. Like, thank you for allowing me to ask you how you were mentally through this and for being open with that. I think that that our little. Uh, podcast therapy session here you know <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for letting me derail our conversation there and talk about that um i do want to get to the audience stuff but i think that we are going to save that for something big that you and i have coming up um and it'll give you a little more time to get like more like you said to get a little more ingrained in the audience experience over there so that you and I great. are um, going to be at a conference together in the first or second week, second week of August uh, yep. in San Diego called Payments Ed. And you and I are one of the featured main stage sessions during lunch, uh, <laughs> doing another podcast recording live in front of a studio audience. That'll be my first one in front of a studio audience. I've done these live live before, but this will be the first one with... I don't know, a few hundred people watching. So well, they that have like a laugh track or something. So like we can make some, you know, not feel I'm, so I'm silly. bringing all the yeah. toys. I'll have a whole button up there, you know, I love I'll be it. like a DJ, but yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. And we'll be touching on things, you know, obviously like 3D secure EMV wallets, you know, probably even faster payments, uh, PSP orchestration, all those wonderful things. Just so you know what, uh, what to take notes on and, and get some answers for, <laughs> but yeah, I will, uh, I will do, do that. Have you been to Payments Ed before? I have been to Payments Ed. Um, I believe I was in Washington, D.C. last year. Um, and then before that, I think my first Payments Ed was in Boston a couple of years ago. Um, it's so, always like really a strong educational event. Interesting. Um, I've never I, been. I, yeah. so, oh, you haven't? Yeah, okay. I've never been. So any any tips and for tricks you. for me and that my audience that's going can also get out Yeah. I think... Um, you know, it's the same things that I would recommend before every event, like, take a look at the agenda, what are you looking that you need to learn about what is what is your role focused on right now. But also, I think 
payments I might release some of the the attendees. I don't remember exactly if, if they do. Um because while you, I while think, you're talking tips yeah. and tricks, let me check. Yeah. No, I, I just think it's important to know who's going to be there because as we touched on during our conversation, building out your network is the one of the biggest ways that you can do that is at these types of events, getting coffee with one of your peers at another merchant that's in a similar vertical or just kind of like, you know, I think that's really how we fostered our relationship is at these types of events. And um, it doesn't have to necessarily just be solution providers, you know, though taking those types of meetings, which I think is also important, but make the time and effort to reach out to a merchant who's like you or just a stranger. And I think get coffee with them and, um, people people really are looking for that connection within this industry and put yourself out there. Yeah, so it does have the attendees list as far as companies. And there's some good ones on there, everybody. So uh, paymentsed.org, everybody. But um, I believe they also have the the actual sessions. Like they have those listed out too of who's going to be like physically awesome. doing the sessions. So everybody's there. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to recording live because, you know, I've never... Like I've always been on the panels and so I've never facilitated and I was really happy that they asked me to do this. Um, I felt very proud that they asked me to do this. Uh, But now it's like, and I was like, hell yeah, let's do this all day. And now it's like coming close. I'm like, wait a minute. This is the first time I'm going to be like interviewing a human being one-on-one on a big stage while recording it to maybe possibly, depending on how our content comes out, be released on the actual channel someday. But for those that are there, you're in for a treat because it's going to be you and I and it's going to be great. I'm excited. I think this could be your your um, audition tape for like NBC next. That's what we're going to. MSNBC is going to put me on as (laughs) the uh, every every night at 520. The fraud, the fraud and payments uh, segment. Give us five minutes on fraud. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, well. Well, thank you very much um, for giving me the opportunity to have this exclusive with you and for letting me kind of just uh, just talk, which, which I think it always leads to excellent conversations on here. I think people really enjoy the more authentic, personal conversations that we have that come out of this. Thank you for sharing your story in the industry and just being so open. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate you. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. thank Darwinium again for being our next sponsor. Their next generation fraud prevention platform unifies security with fraud prevention to create complete visibility of customer journeys across every digital touchpoint. This unique integration running at the perimeter edge via CDN preserves privacy while maintaining low latency and giving a holistic view of customer behavior from all touchpoints, including pre-authorization, account creation, login, change of details like email and address, and payments. This means businesses are better equipped to separate that human traffic from that automated traffic that we're always chasing, while still protecting consumers from account takeover, identity theft scams, social engineering scams, and also blocking content and promo code abuse on our sites. Of course, they also detect fraudulent payments. Please visit www.darwinium.com to learn more today. Like I said at the beginning, I will provide those direct links in there. It's pretty cool what they're doing, so I really encourage everybody to go take a look. Again, that's Darwinium. They're great people. Everybody have a nice day. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.